Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. I will be honest with you that I was a little disappointed when I left my house this morning. And I opened my door and I'm, you know, pulling all four of my kids out to get in the car to come to church. And see, because my husband had told me last night that when I woke up, it was going to be cold outside. Like there was a cold front supposed to come through. And I opened the door and I'm like, ah, dang it, it's like not here. So if you're new to Texas, uh, you may not know that we have our own season here. Do you know this? It's called Fommer. It's this weird blend of fall and summer where they go like back and forth. And today is like a perfect Fommer day. It's muggy, but there's these weird cold breezes. Yeah. Have you lived in Texas long enough to experience Fommer? It's like, it's our own thing, you know? Um, But you know, it is a privilege to live in the great Lone Star State and in the city of Austin. So we put up with Fommer gladly and hopefully by December I can wear a cardigan and not be sweating. But maybe that's wishful thinking, who knows. Anyway, thanks for braving Farmer and wondering what to wear today to church. If you're gonna be hot or cold, it's just always a mystery. Um, But I am Liz Griffin. My husband JD and I have the privilege of being your pastors here at Antioch Austin. Love you guys. And last week was a really big week for our church. Our church turned one last week. We had our one year birthday. It was awesome and we gave out birthday presents, but like people got some gift cards under their seats. We had cupcakes. We had photo booth. It was a super fun time. But I, my favorite part was that it was our first Vision Sunday. Were any of y'all here last week? Yes? Okay. Why are y'all sleepy? Y'all need to go get more coffee. Come on, people. I have four kids. I have a reason to be sleepy. So y'all can pound some more coffee here. But anyway, it was Vision Sunday, and it was awesome. We looked back at everything that God had done in our midst in the last year, and it was so incredible to celebrate with you guys, and then JD also shared vision for where we're wanting to go as a church in the next 365 days of doubling our life groups, of um, being a light in the city, and it was so moving. I got so choked up so many times being like, yes, God, do it. If you weren't here last Sunday, you're going to want to listen to the podcast because it was a good time, and were any of you who are here, can you finish this sentence? Light changes everything. Yes, that was the kind of the foundational piece of J.D.'s message last week was that light changes everything. And he used the example of the dress that broke the internet, right? Even if you weren't here last Sunday, I know you know this. It's that, that dress that some people saw as white and gold and other people saw it as blue and black. If you saw the dress as white and gold, raise your hand. It so blows me away if you saw it black and blue. Yeah, so he talked about how it is actually black and blue, but because we all perceive light differently, the dress looks different colors. So mind blown, in case you're wondering, black and blue is the correct color of the dress. But if you weren't there last week, listen to the podcast. If you call Antioch Austin home, you're going to want to hear what J.D. had to say so you can get that. And we're going to talk about light a little bit more later on this morning. But first, I want to tell you about this really ridiculous thing that JD did last week. He's not in here, so I guess I could tell lots of things that he's done. But, um, but this past week, I got a phone call from JD that I really never expected to get. He gave me a call, and he's like, hey, babe, just so you know, I got a newspaper subscription. Who knew those even existed anymore? Like an actual new 
use paper. Paper, ink. It shows up at our door. I wake up in the morning. JD makes coffee. He goes out. The newspaper is on our driveway. Pick it up. Bring it inside. I genuinely kind of thought those were a thing of the past, but I guess JD is the anomaly that actually now in our digital age decides to subscribe to the paper. But So we get the newspaper now. And it's actually been really great. I kind of made fun of him about it first. I'm like, babe, no one reads the newspaper. Like, you can, you can go on abcnews.com for free and read the news. Like, why would you pay money to get a paper that we have to then recycle, you know, like, brought to our house? But it's been super great. One of the things I love about it is that my son Tate, so J.D. brings the paper in, and he separates it. And our kids get up crazy early in the morning, like, I come out of my room at 5.30, and they're already awake and dressed. And I'm like, who are you people? But they're awake. J.D. brings in the newspaper. He pulls out the comics for Kevin and Ines. And they look at, like, the comics, which I didn't know they still did those either. But, and then Tate looks at the um, sports section of the paper. And it's great because Tate always wants to see the sports scores. He's like, Mom, can you pull up the ESPN app? Like, Tate loves the data, like, the information, you know? Um, but it's always tricky because I, always, you know, hesitate giving my kids my phone or my iPad because you never know, like, if some shady ads is going to pop up or, like, some commercial that's scary or, or whatever. But it's great because the newspaper is pretty clean. There's nothing, like, super shady. So he can sit and read the newspaper scores. And did anyone's football team win yesterday? Yours did? Y'all can pray for the rest of us. Because it was not a good football day in the Griffin household. I mean, there was a few moments that we were on the verge of tears, except for Tate, because Tate was cheering for Oklahoma teams in both games, UT and Baylor. He was cheering for Oklahoma, so he was happy, but we will put him in therapy shortly and cross our fingers that he turns out all right. So he was happy, but Tate is our, like, data person, so he's loving reading the sports page. Um, and it's also really great about the newspaper because it has actual news in it, like journalism, right? And I kind of hadn't realized that I hadn't been really reading the news, but after I read the newspaper and I would get on like an online source and I'd think, well, I'm really glad that that Kardashian is pregnant, but what about an update from Spain or, you know, whatever. It's like the online news is so driven by sensational stories and ad clicks and all those things, but the newspaper is like, the real news, which is really great, kind of, okay? The problem with the newspaper is that now I actually read the news. And I don't know if you read the news, but there's some pretty heavy stuff going on, right? Wildflowers in California, Vegas, shooting, racism, North Korea. Yeah, there's some really big, dark stuff going on in our world. And It kind of begs the question, what do we do with all the darkness? When I see the newspaper show up at my porch and we divvy out the sections to the kids and there's the news in front of me, what do I do with all that darkness? And this week we are launching into our new series that we'll be spending the next few few weeks on and it's called The Dirty Gospel. Now last night Sophie said, mom, what are you going to, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And And I told her, and she's like, what does that mean? Like, what does the dirty gospel mean? And y'all are probably wondering the same thing, like, where are we going with this, you know? So I want to be real clear, okay, before you start jumping to conclusions about my theology. Jesus is blameless, pure, sinless, right? The gospel actually, by definition, 
is the message of Christ, the kingdom of God, and salvation. That's why the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and John, are called the Gospels, because the meat of what they tell is about the message of Christ, the kingdom of God, and the gospel. So when we're talking about the dirty gospel, we're not talking about Jesus being dirty and sinful or anything like that. We're talking about the message of Christ, his kingdom, and salvation. And I think if I could present a physical representation, a physical being of the gospel on stage today, it would be as solid as ever, but I think it would be also stained and worn because centuries and generations have clung to it. It's been through wars. It's been through persecution. It's been with people in the stickiest messes, in their darkest moments. And that's why we say the dirty gospel, because God is not afraid of getting his hands dirty. He's not afraid of your mess or my mess. And there's century worth of fingerprints of the proud and the desperate clinging to this gospel for a hope in a dark place. And that's what this series is about, the dirty gospel. What happens when God's light meets our darkness? And I'm sure you know this because you're human, but people, we have a bad relationship with darkness, right? We don't really feel very comfortable with darkness. Like when I was a kid and I'd spend all day in my room, and I was, knew what was in there, I knew the things that were under my bed and the closet and all that, but as soon as the light went out, it's like you have no idea what's out there. Even though I'd spent all day in the space, it's like when the light turns off, I panic, you know? Like in our house, like I said, we have four kids, and if I say, okay, go upstairs and shower, and it's dark upstairs, you would think I was asking them to go into the mouth of a volcano. Like, just, this, you want me to go in there? It's, there's no light on. It's dark. We are uncomfortable with dark. And it's actually scientifically proven that people are afraid of the dark. New York Magazine published an article on why people are afraid of the dark last year. They interviewed a whole bunch of neuroscientists and psychologists and all kinds of people with PhDs to find out why is it that we are so afraid of the dark. And so this is an excerpt from that article. Some fears are acquired based on specific life experiences. Others are more universal and innate. The fear of darkness falls into the latter category, universal and innate. The reason... It is not darkness itself that is frightening. It is the fear of what darkness masks. The dark leaves us vulnerable and exposed, unable to spot any threats that may be lurking nearby. For much of human history, dark meant danger, and fearing it meant taking precautions to stay, stay, to stay safe. Our brains, in other words, equate darkness with the frightening side of unlimited possibility. So we scientifically avoid darkness because whatever it means terrifies us. But I have great news, which is God is not afraid of the dark. And that is today's message. If you're putting a title on your notes, that's today's sermon title. God is not afraid of the dark. And I want us to post up this morning on a scripture that I think gives really good insight and foundation into the series and to this concept of God's perfect light intersecting darkness. And it's John 1, 5. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If you study John 1, verse 1 through 4, John lets us know that when he's referencing light, he's talking about Jesus, right? This is a metaphor for Jesus. And I went to Baylor University, sick and bears, and I got a prestigious major of a bachelor's degree uh, in political science. So I read that scripture with my Bachelor of Arts, sorry, Bachelor of Arts degree, and I'm like, oh, that's a really great metaphor, and isn't that cool? That's so neat, you know? But what I have discovered is that if you actually uh, introduce a little bit of physics into this scripture, it takes on a whole new dimension. Now, God help us today, because I, Liz Griffin, am going to be talking to you about science, which is really not my forte. But when I was doing research and looking into this verse, it kept, I kept coming back to it and how much it takes life when we look at it through this lens. So I'm actually going to tell you three things that we can learn about Jesus through the physics of light based on the scripture, okay? Can we handle? Yes, you're awake enough for this. I like that. Sounds good. Okay. The first is that it is living. Light is living. So in the Greek, in that verse, it's not up there anymore, but when it says the light has come into the darkness, that Greek word is actually not a stagnant light. So it's not like one of the lights back there or up here where it stays there and just sends light out. It is actually alive. It is moving. It's active. It's proactive. It is not just projecting into the darkness. It is going. The source itself is going into the darkness. Now, the cool thing about light from a scientific standpoint is that it actually never stops moving. Light can go on forever. When you project light into darkness, it keeps traveling. And what's really cool is light can go completely through a void. Other things like sound and things like that, they need different um, matter and, I don't know, all this stuff that I'm not really that smart in, but you can read about it. But what I learned is that light is one of the only things that can just go. It doesn't need anything else to help it continue moving. It is what it does by nature. It moves into the darkness. And once it starts, it keeps going. Technically, light can live forever. This light that's going into the darkness is proactively going through the darkness. And what Jesus did on the cross, what I love about that when I was thinking about it is this message that Jesus brings into the cross, through the cross, it keeps going. It wasn't this one-time light that shone and now we still talk about it. It's still going. It travels through the generations. It's traveled through the centuries. For thousands of years, the light that talks about coming through the darkness of Jesus, it is still moving. It is still alive and it is still active. The second thing I want to tell you about light, there's only two things that can happen when light hits something. The first is it's reflected. So when the builders come in here on Sunday morning to set up for church, thank you for our volunteers, you're incredible. When you come in and you flip on those lights, the reason we can see is because the light travels from the light bulb and it hits the, the stage and the floor and the walls and it reflects and therefore, that's when we see the light because it bounces off of something. So when light goes forward, it can reflect. And when it intersects something, when it interacts with something, it brightens it up. 
And it's the same with Jesus. When he goes into the darkness and when he interacts with us, when he interacts with me and you and people at our work, when Jesus intersects something, light happens. The second option when light goes out is it gets reflected, but it can also get absorbed. It can actually change a subject when it absorbs light. Think about our skin. You go out into the sun, sunlight comes, we actually absorb that sunlight and it changes our skin cells. That's why we get tan or we burn and everyone should wear sunscreen regardless. But we absorb light. The same is true with Jesus. When we absorb the light, we actually are transformed. We are physically changed in our mind, in our soul. We are transformed. When light hits something, it is reflected, it gets brighter, and things are transformed. Now, this one really baffled me. Not all light is visible. Did you know that? Some of y'all are smart and you knew that. I didn't know that. Not, there is something called invisible light. Some light is visible, like what you and I are familiar with, and some light is invisible. In fact, most light is actually invisible. You can't see it. And these super smart, really smart people came up with a formula to figure out exactly how much light is there in the world that we are not seeing. And you want to know what they found? They found that on the electromagnetic spectrum of light, human beings see less than 0% of light. We see technically 0.0035% of light. 0.0035% of light is all that we see. That leaves, I don't know, I can't do math, whatever the remaining percentage of all the light that we can't see. And I thought, well, isn't that amazing? And in fact, you know what's really crazy is that the invisible light is the strongest of the lights. The light you can't see is the strongest one. It's the most powerful one. It's the one that does the most damage. That 0.0035% of light that we see is actually the weakest light. And I thought, isn't that true in the spiritual realm too? That there is light going out in the darkness that we can't see. And sometimes we sit and we're like, I am in the dark. Where is God? The newspaper shows up at my front door and I look at the headlines and I think, where is God? Where is this good, loving God in the midst of all this? But you know where he is? He's in that invisible, powerful light I cannot see that is changing things. It is reflecting and it is absorbing. And because I am a finite human, I don't always see it. So we can even, from a scientific perspective, say, man, when we're in the darkness, we really can have faith that there is a light shining and darkness will not overcome it. And you know, in 2005... J.D. and I were with a team of people, and we were in Beirut, Lebanon. And there were some Baptist missionaries who we were going to be, our team was going to be working with for the day. And so they said, hey, there's this apartment complex. Um, It's a Hezbollah apartment complex. Now, Hezbollah, if you don't know, they're a terrorist group. They would say they're a political organization, but the rest of the world would say that they're terrorist groups. They do different bombings, and uh, they're some pretty rough people. 
So these Baptist missionaries said, hey, we are going to give your team these Injils, which is these um, New Testament Bibles in Arabic, and we're going to send you into the apartment complexes door to door to hand them out. I'm like, great. I really, I wanted to knock on a terrorist door today. That is what I woke up saying, let's do this. This sounds fun. But, you know, so we like get into teams and JD and I go together and we spend the whole day going door to door to what is known to everyone in the city as where the terrorists are. And this one door in particular, I'll never forget, we knock on it. And this woman, probably in her 40s, answers and invites us in, as everyone had done. She offered us tea, as everyone had done. And it's hot outside. If you've ever been overseas, you know that you drink a lot of tea that you don't want to drink. And so we sat there, and we drank some very strong tea that I really didn't want to drink. And and we tried, you know, she spoke a little bit of broken English, and we had a, like a, a what's it called, dictionary. And, you know, to, to try to communicate. And and we're sitting there talking, and we, you know, we say, hey, we are followers of Jesus, and we brought you this book that will tell you more about him. And her face lit up, you know. You're kind of cringing, being like, am I going to get kicked out of your house now? But her face lit up. And she said, oh, maybe you can help me. She said, I've been having these dreams. Now, this is a Muslim woman part of a terrorist organization in the Middle East. She says, I've been having these dreams. And in my dreams, this man in white, and I don't know, he never said he's Jesus, but somehow I know he's Jesus. And he's like glowing. And he walks up to me, and in one hand, he has a glass of wine. And in the other hand, he has a piece of bread. And he keeps walking up and offering it to me. Whoa. And I'm like, she's like, do you know what that means? And we're like, yes, I do. And so we were able to open the Injil, this Arabic New Testament, and show her in Scripture of the Last Supper where Jesus um, offers his disciples communion, the wine and the bread. And we show her in Scripture, and we're able to explain to her that Jesus is inviting her into that same relationship that he was inviting his disciples into. And you know, those stories are never in the newspaper. They're never what you hear your worried neighbor always gossiping about, right? But there is a light in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. And we usually, scientifically, statistically, we usually cannot see the light. But there is a light in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. God is not afraid of the dark. In fact, Jesus, from the moment he entered earth, went straight for the darkness. His parents were homeless when he was born. He was born into poverty. He was born into racial tension. In fact, he was born into a genocide. At the time of Jesus' birth, King Herod was killing all of the Jewish male babies under the age of two. And Jesus' parents escaped to Egypt. They were refugees. See, Jesus' beginning was not some cute, Pinterest-worthy, safe crib. He went straight for the ugliest, the darkest, the most painful, the dirtiest parts of humanity. That's where he made his introduction because he is not afraid of the dark. And he's still not afraid of the dark. He wasn't born into glory. There was nothing glorious about when he came to earth. 
in the natural. But you know what he did? He brought glory with him. He brought light with him into the dark. And he does the same today. See, this, this dirty gospel is not afraid of your most shameful, embarrassing parts of your story. It doesn't shrink back. This gospel, this Jesus that we serve looks face to face and says, come on, come here, walk with me. It's not some fairy tale, some band-aid, some hashtag blessed, some little wish upon a star, hope things get better for you. This gospel actively moves through the darkness, bringing light, bringing reflection, bringing transformation in my life, in your life, and in the life of this city. What Jesus did on the cross when he died for our sins, he defeated sin. And when he rose from the grave after three days, he defeated death itself. And you know, the gospel really can be culminated in these three words that Jesus spoke, which is, it is finished. The light has come. Whether you see it or not, the light has come, and it is finished. Your shame, it's finished. Your depression, it's finished. Your addiction is finished. Your cycle of families getting divorced over and over in your family and broken marriages, it's finished. The brokenness that is eating up our world today, it is finished. Those lies of self-hate, of being worthless, they're finished by a God who says, it is finished. Come to me. Will you guys go ahead and stand up with me this morning? Now I know that in this room, there are some people who maybe have never heard the story of Jesus or maybe have never said, you know, that gospel, that dirty gospel, I'm in the dark and I desperately need a light. And I have good news for you today because there is a light in the darkness and your darkness, no matter what you think is too great, too much, it's no match for Jesus. And there's hope for everyone in this room this morning. And in just a minute, some of our leaders are going to come forward. And if there's anything that you need prayer for, any place where you say, man, I know that there's light, but I don't see it. Can you pray that I would have faith to believe it's there? And we want to pray for you. If there's anything else going on, we're going to want to pray for you too. But first, I'm going to ask everyone to just bow your heads with me. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, and you want to, I'm just going to ask you, while everyone's heads are down, to boldly raise your hand. Okay, if that's you, I just want you to repeat this prayer after me, Jesus. Thank you that you came down into my darkness, into my pit, into the grit and grime, and you reached out and you pulled me close. 
and you lifted me up out of the pit. Thank you for what you did on the cross. And I choose to follow you today, Jesus. I give you my life. Transform me with your light. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I just, as some of our leaders are going to go ahead and make their way up, God, I pray over this church this morning that every place of darkness would see your light, would see your transformation and your revelation. God, that hope would go forth and fill every heart, God. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name.